Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 14, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book in the doctor's opinion, and we are at page XXVII, paragraph 1. Today's readers are Deborah S., Rachel N.M., and Penny C. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, October 13th, is 8115. That's 8115. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Lois M. in Massachusetts recovers. Thank you, God. Uh, The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a decision, made, made a list of all people, persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends except when to do so would injure them or others. Except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the, and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now ask Amy W. to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Amy W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. 
Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, for each, um, sorry, four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Amy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask you keep, that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers, is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the book on page XXVII in the doctor's opinion, and I will ask Deborah S. to begin reading. She will read four paragraphs. Deborah, please press star one to unmute. Okay, here I am. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Deborah S. from New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to be seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, 
but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Okay, so what, this, what these paragraphs say to me was, first of all, um, you know, Dr. Silkworth had a lot of experience. He worked with alcoholics. He had a hospital. He worked in he worked in a hospital, um, and he he liked alcoholics, and he thought, and he wanted he he spent his time trying to help them, and he um, realized that you know maybe I could gain, glean something from these people who seemed so helpless and hopeless. And um, when he saw that these uh, alcoholics were recovering, you know, uh, he, he was very open to something new because whatever the doctors were doing in those days weren't, weren't helping. Um, and he um, saw that these guys had something that uh, was new and was, was working. Um, so when he says that, you know, we're not equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge, you know, like, we, we have to put aside everything that we think we know and be open to an idea that is not our own, that, that synthetic knowledge is knowledge that is um, not real. Um, and he saw from, this, from meeting these people that this was real. These people were recovering, um, and they had something to share. We have to go beyond, you know, everything, you know, that we, um, that they thought they knew about alcohols, which they really didn't know. They just put them in a, uh, in a hospital to, to just, you know, just live out their life. Um, people died from it. They didn't do anything about it. But he, you know, he was, he wrote his name to this letter to show that there is a solution and that alcoholics can recover um, by following the instructions in, in this book. And, um, you know, in those days, you know, when he's saying, what with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, you know, um, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. But people who've been through it and have the experience, um, they, they, they are the ones that we should uh, listen to and learn from and pass it on. Um, and um, what a humbling um, message this is from a doctor uh, to be able to, to say that. Um, it's very unusual for, you know, nowadays, you know, doctors, you know, they know everything. Um, and um, really is very, very uh, inspiring to hear that and to, um, and, you know, here we are today because of this, um, because of his uh, opinion. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Um, who would like to share on this paragraph, these four paragraphs? Kim G. Okay, Kim G. Anyone else? Okay, Kim, go ahead. Lindy, wow. yeah. Lindy okay, I'd Al like to share. Alice M. Was that Alice M? No, Lindy, L-I-N-D-Y. 
Okay. Thank you. Hey, Lindy. Okay. Suji. So, Alice. Amy E. Vasa O. Okay, let's go with those. I have Kim G, Lindy, Sue G, Amy E, and Vasa O. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, all. Thanks. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The subject presented in this book seems to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I think that word is really important, afflicted. Because I have to tell you, you know, you read the statistics in America, and two-thirds of Americans are fat. Does that mean two-thirds of Americans are compulsive overeaters? I don't think so. I think in in a culture that is high calorie and low activity, you're going to have a lot of fat people. That doesn't mean that you're afflicted as a compulsive overeater. I know for myself, many years I raised my hand in a meeting when they said, how many other compulsive overeaters are here besides myself? And I would raise it with with the definition in my head being, I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore, or I'm not fat and I'm terrified of being fat. Because I thought food and weight was my problem. That is not a compulsive overeater. Because believe me, if food was only my problem, and I, had, I have gotten abstinent hundreds of times. I have taken those foods that I overeat out of my diet hundreds of times. Well, if food was my problem, then I would, that the problem would be solved. If weight was my problem, I've lost weight over and over, and I've gotten to go weight for a good five minutes before I picked up. So if weight was my problem, I would have solved that the many times that I got down to go weight. So what does it mean to be afflicted with alcoholic addiction? I have to ask myself, do I identify in with the, with the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind? Are there certain food, not all food, just the same way an alcoholic, I would use this all the time, an alcoholic only has to not drink. I have to eat three times a day. That's not true. An alcoholic drinks. They do not drink alcohol in any form. I eat. I do not eat those binge foods. So do I identify in that when I ingest certain binge foods, my body is biologically different and I cannot reasonably predict how much I'm going to eat? And even when I'm able to white-knuckle it through and I, have, I am abstinent, is my experience that I get restless, irritable, discontent, and I cannot stay stopped. That is what it means to be afflicted with this addiction. If you only have the allergy, then maybe you can go to a rehab, be locked away, and be told, don't eat, and you'll be okay. Maybe if you have the obsession, you can do some behavior modification because once you pick up, you don't binge, so there's not an issue there. You have to ask yourself, do you have both? And one of my favorite AA speakers, Sandy B., he says what an alcoholic is in one sentence, and I'm going to end with this. I am an alcoholic if I cannot drink safely and I cannot be sober contently. I am a compulsive overeater because I cannot eat safely and be abstinent contently. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim. Lindy, you're up. Thank you. Um, I hope you can hear me okay. So I just yes. wanted to great, thank you. I just wanted to comment on that line um synthetic knowledge. And and recently I reread the doctor's opinion and 
um, what struck me is that for me, synthetic knowledge is what my brain comes up with or what my mind comes up with. And I contrast that with guidance and power for my higher power. Um, if I make a sponsor or a food plan or my weight or therapy or, you know, even the big book, My Higher Power, I'm not doing well. I'm not abstinent. I end up struggling. Even if I'm not having kind of an overt problem with my food, I am struggling with um, my emotions, and I'm struggling with my thinking. And when I rely on my higher power, um, all that gets a lot better. But synthetic is an interesting word because it, it's related to the word synthesis. And I think that it's important to have a synthesis of all we know and, and all the resources, but it's still, for me, not enough without um, higher power. Um, that has to be my true reliance. Um, thank you very much for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Lindy. Sue G., you're up. This is Sue G. Um, I have always had God is my higher power, but I never surrendered my food to him because I figured he'd give me wisdom. I had that synthetic knowledge. I learned about the big book, um, but I couldn't get past, I couldn't get to the application. Um, I couldn't apply it because of all the knowledge I had. I couldn't apply it because I had preconceived notions. Um, I couldn't apply it because I thought, well, I've got a higher power and um, I should be able to do this. Um, surrendered for years, my life, my will, and my food to, to God, but I was not applying what I was even praying. Uh, so, you know, when I read this paragraph, it was just, you know, I worked with sponsors and I, I still couldn't help them because I didn't have it myself. So it did present difficulties. Um, so, you know, I'm still dealing with that with my food. Um, I have all the knowledge about healthy eating, but I have just recently learned that I, I must learn what my common ingredients are. And I'm struggling with that right now to, to get a better food plan. And I'm including God in this. And so it's coming a little more smoothly, but I know it's going to take a while. But I thank you so much for, um, I'm so happy to be on this loop, this group. And it was suggested to me by my sponsor uh, about a year ago, and it took me eight months to actually start coming in. So thanks for letting me share, and thank you for your service. I pass. Thank you, Suji. And A.E., it's your turn. Hi, thank you. It's Amy E. in Northwest Ohio, abstinent and grateful. Uh, with this paragraph, this thing, moral psychology has always um, tripped me up. What is moral psychology? 
Encyclopedia Britannica says it's the study of the development of the moral sense, of the capacity for forming judgments about what is morally right or wrong, good or bad. It's interesting that Dr. Silkworth notes that um, doctors working in addiction counseling in the 1930s have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics. So you don't get that sense from doctors treating cancer patients, right? There's something about the alcoholic, about the compulsive overeater, where there's a recognition of um, making better choices, the need to make better choices, the need to distinguish between a good choice and a bad choice, a right choice and a wrong choice. And he, he later goes on to describe gentlemen that he knew that he worked with who... Um, had business, you know, in in describing that we're not compulsively overeating, or or the alcoholic isn't drinking because they, um, you know, what was me, my life is terrible, although they often feel that way because they're selfish and self-centered, but they would even drink even when they were conducting business deals that were set to be settled in their favor. Uh, They took that drink and suddenly the phenomenon of craving overtook everything else that they had in front of them. Um, and so this idea of of having a good sense of values and a good judgment, Dr. Silkworth was saying that, that he and other doctors working in this field recognized that for a long time, but they couldn't apply it. They didn't have the tools to apply it. They couldn't work that kind of magic with their patients. It, it isn't something that synthetic knowledge that, you know, taking a pill and suddenly you develop good moral judgment. Well, what happens? What happens with the compulsive overeater, with the alcoholic who recovers, that allows that shift, that change, that that difference where our thinking is put on a different plane? It's really about inviting God's grace into our life. And how do we do that? And what we do, and I think we, which is why the doctor's opinion is the opening chapter in this big book, is you have to bring people to this place where they are at the jumping off point, where um, you, they really recognize the depths of their dilemma, that they have no power over this disease, and that they are compelled when they pick up their substances to keep eating, um, keep drinking, even when it is destroying their bodies, their minds, their families, their uh, their careers. Um, and once you get to that jumping off point, that's what Time. we mean when, thank you, when we talk about the gift of desperation. Thanks so much. I appreciate uh, everybody's service. Thank you, Amy. Vasa O, you're up. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Katie, for your service. And I'm Vasa O. Grateful Recovered Compulsive Leader calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And yes, I was always interested in reading psychology books and always wondering how the brain worked, but it was never, never connected with the food addiction. And yes, you know, like um, Dr. Will uh, Silkwood, you know, I did have doctors in my life that tried to help me. put the food or showed me how to diet, but I could never, never put it down. Yes, I could put it down for a little bit, but I could never stop, you know, doing certain certain things that caused the, aller- the physical allergy in my body. And I thought I should be able to put the food down by myself, by my own willpower. 
I didn't believe that God would help me because um, I thought God was just too busy with bigger and bigger, more serious things out there than in the world than myself. And then um, you know I I could be a I could have been I could be a nutritionist today. I explored. I knew all about diets. I knew all about calories. I knew all about that stuff, but I could not put the the sugary things down. I didn't know. I really did not know. I was very naive. I didn't know. You know, it'll be thirty years October twenty fifth this month. I've been in the pro no twenty nine years in this program, and it is by the grace of God I'm abstinent, and it's not just about the abstinence. It's not just about the physical, it's the emotional, spiritual part of my program of being able to uh, grow and heal over the years. So what I was just trying to say, I, you know, I knew all about it, but I did not know I had a food addiction. I did not know it was an eating disorder. I didn't know I had the allergy that followed with a mental obsession. Once I put those toxic foods that my body was allergic to, it was I could never put it down. Or if I did for a while, I'd say, oh, maybe I can handle one. And that one was never enough. It went from one to another, 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 and I could not stop. So I'm just so grateful that I came to the big book, big book and I learned what this was, the doctor's opinion, what was the allergy, and what's the solution, what was my problem, I understood, you know. And uh, again, it's surrendering to this program, surrendering to God, gradually with the food and everything in my life. And I'm just so grateful. I'm alive today. I was 41 years old when I came to this program. I didn't think I was going to see my 45th birthday. So my birthday is coming here onto the program and the solution. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Who else would like to share on these four paragraphs? Renata. Melissa Renata. Anyone else? Leah. Okay. Leah M. Okay, we have Renata, Melissa C., and then Leah M. Go ahead, please, Renata. Hi, Katie. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Um, While someone else was sharing, it made me think of... um, a period of my life where I really thought I had finally found a solution, you know, to to my compulsive overeating. Um, I went to to a doctor and she put me on this very, very, very strong medication, like this diet pill that really um, was a, a combination of a bunch of different chemicals. And what it did was, it, it, it took away my desire to eat sweets, my desire to eat in general. Um, I could not physically eat when I took those pills. I, I just couldn't. It was impossible. And, you know, I lost like 80 pounds in like four months, and it gave me energy. I was not interested in food, and I thought, wow, that's, that's it. This is the solution. 
you know, finally. And uh, the obsession of the mind, my disease, was so strong that when I got really, really restless, fearful, like when I had tests in school, what I would, you know, what I did was I would not take the pills. I would not take the pills because I needed to eat. I was crawling out of my skin. I was so uncomfortable. I needed to eat no matter what. And so I, you know, my mind convinced me not to take the pills because if I took them, I could not binge. And that's what I did. And so, you know, like human power was not enough for me. Even when I found something that, yeah, took away the desire, the interest for food, my mind still convinced me to, to find a way to, to binge, you know, because food was my solution. I could not cope with life without food. And so, you know, I had to come to this program and work the 12 steps and find a spiritual solution. You know, I had to be convinced that human power was not enough. And, uh, you know, that's the only thing that has worked for me so far that has given me freedom from this disease. And uh, I'm very, very grateful with that I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata and Melissa C. You're up. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, the synthetic. Um, knowledge and um, you know that I don't have the book in front of me but I had read it you know this morning before um, and you know so I was thinking about the the scientific approach and um, and synthetic knowledge and all of that is man-made and you know that appealed to me for so long I loved anything that was research-based you know oh this is this is proven this is proven to work and you know that um, appealed to me when I still believed that my problem was just weight and food and nutrition. Um, and, you know, and that was the, the, the way I deceived myself for a very long time, um, thinking that Weight Watchers and every diet program that was proven was going to solve my problem, you know, that uh, and decrease your caloric intake, increase your activity, lose weight. Um, and that's when weight loss was what my goal was. Um, and, you know, so what's the problem? The problem is I can't, I can't um, live that way. I cannot eat in moderation. I can't take in less calories no matter how much I know it. Knowing it has never been enough to keep me um, in action. And, and so then, you know, I, I came into OA and I learned about the nature of, um, of this disease, that it was an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And, um, and that, made, that made sense to me. And yet still I struggled because the moral psychology, I was still relying on man-made notions, you know, whether it was um, and, you know, I mean, no disrespect to psychology. I love psychology, but, you know, more self-knowledge, understanding why I turned to food, um, you know, why that became my coping mechanism, did nothing to keep me from returning to that same behavior over and over again. What was really needed was a syn- not a synthetic solution, not something man-made, but something, you know, of my higher power, 
Um, and, and that's when I, you know, really began to experience recovery when um, the solution became clear that it was something much greater than research, much greater than a man, um, you know, that it had to be um, a higher power. And I'm just grateful to know that today and not to be relying on a band-aid solution. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Leah M., your turn. Thanks so much, Katie. We're not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. I mean, the alcoholic was just absolutely, you know, <laughs> cunning, baffling, and powerful to the medical profession. Um, you know, they would go in and they would be dried out, locked up, dried out, you know, and then whatever, a couple months later, a few weeks later, hours later, be back in the hospital needing another dry out, another detox uh, session. I mean, I think about, you know, the story, uh, Alcoholic Anonymous number three with Bill D., who, you know, was dried out eight different times within six months and kept coming back. Why is that? I mean, everybody focuses on the problems that alcoholism causes. Uh, you know, the loss of jobs, the uh, smashed up cars, the deterioration of marriages and families, etc. But that doesn't help you understand alcoholism at all. It's the same thing with compulsive overeating. Everybody focuses on the problems of compulsive overeating and the problems it causes, right? The obesity, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the, you know, cholesterol, etc. But the real, but that, that doesn't help really understand compulsive overeating because the real problem is even after all its damage, even after all the medical consequences, even after the deterioration, you know, because it touches so many facets of our life, even after all that is explained, right? We're on this line every morning explaining the disease. Even after it's explained in excruciating detail, a real compulsive overeater will still go out and pick up that first bite. And that decision occurs when you're abstinent, right? When your food's sober. And that is the cunning, baffling, and, you know, uh, powerful nature of the illness. Is a situation where you have no defense against the first bite. Sobriety is physical. Abstinence is a physical solution. We are suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Because all the knowledge about the illness, about the disease, all its consequences about the disease isn't, isn't enough. That makes you a very smart, compulsive overeater. <laughs> Why can't we seem to uh, learn from our, you know, consequences? We have a defective mind. We have a mental deficiency which prevents us from processing reality. No matter how painful the consequences, no matter how clearly the information is presented on this line or other places by credible people, we have a defective mind. We have a cancer of the soul, a soul sickness, a spiritual malady. It's going to take more than men of, men of medicine and science. You know, men of medicine and science, they have their place. But we are looking for... More than just temporary respite, we're looking more than just mere relief. We are looking for salvation, and that's got to come from a power greater than ourselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. And now I will ask Rachel N.M. to please read the next two paragraphs. 
Good morning, Katie. This is Rachel N.M. I'm a thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater and anorexic from Ohio. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in, his, in this hospital, and while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive, and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves, and still more, in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Good morning, everyone. Um, I I think that this is amazing letter, um, and I I want to focus on um, this this alcoholic acquired some ideas which you put into practical application at once. Um, we know that we and alcoholics um, have obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body, and um, because of this, no matter how good our, our our moral standards are or our religious beliefs are, we cannot keep from taking that first bite. Um, and and so many of us have acquired some ideas many times. Um, but the difference in this case is when he acquired these ideas, he put them into practical application at once. And we who have recovered have found that when we do our part, God does his part. There's something that none of us can do. And that's we cannot take our own obsession away out of our mind. Uh, we we would have done that a long time ago if we could have. Um, but we were powerless to take the obsession away. But we can lay down the food. And we can do a thorough inventory and give it away and then continue to seek God and um, share what we've been given. And the amazing thing is that God does for us what we cannot do, and he takes away that obsession, and we no longer have to to pick up that first bite. And I am very, very thankful that this um, this knowledge was shared with me, and by the grace of God, I was able to apply it. That's all I have to share this morning. I pass. Thank you. And I'd like to share on this um, paragraph, and who would like to share after me? Kathy K. Norma M. Paula D. Okay. Uh, Kathy K., Norma M., Paula D., and I'll go first. Um, They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics from the gates of death. And, you know, sometimes it seems like this is a lot of work. You know, we're pulling this convention together and 
we do all of this stuff on a daily basis and you know we we uh, set our alarms to get up for sponsee calls and we you know weigh and measure our food if you're that kind of person but the fact is if I didn't do all that stuff I would be dead because that's where this disease was taking me this disease was taking me to a place where I wanted to die and I older at the age of 27 when I got accident than I do today at 55. I felt like a walking dead person so much of the time, completely numb to the world around me. And today I've been given a new life that is just unbelievably productive and happy and meaningful and, um, and yet full of highs and lows that I don't have to pick up the food over. And it's a miracle, and I, you know, I, I wish I could um, bottle it and sell it. But I can't because it's between me and my higher power and between you and your higher power. But I can say that it is not um, all tied up into one thing um, besides a spiritual awakening. And you know, I'm so grateful that we can share this with others because that is part of our process. That is part of what I have to do because I have a mind that were I to go back and think, you know, this is just too much stuff. I think, you know, I'll take six months off. Well, whether I pick up the food tomorrow or next month, that mental twist will start creeping in there because I would become restless, irritable, and discontent without... Um, continuing to do these steps and to work this program. And, you know, I don't like to uh, say, well, I ate because my parents got divorced or I ate because my dad left and I hardly ever saw him or I ate because this or that. Because the reality is uh, it got to the point where I ate over anything and over nothing. And so I could spend my time trying to figure out what the problem is outside of myself, but instead I know that it's an inside job. And I'm just so grateful that God did pull me back and I am able to be a productive member of this program and the world at large. With that, I'll pass. And now, Kathy Kay, your turn. Thank you, Katie, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, Recovered Compulsive O-Reader from Boston. Um, this paragraph uh, that begins, later he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients. Um, it reminds me, it brings into clear relief um, how important it is for me to work with others. You know, when I think back on my first 10 years in OA, I was uh, actually sponsoring people on their food plan, um, but I did not have a spiritual program um, that I could share with my sponsees, and um, it really limited what I was able to pass on to them. Um, and when I finally worked with a sponsor who helped me uh, to develop that relationship with a higher power, I not only became transformed, but I had so much more to give to others. And what I know today is that act of giving to others um, and helping others 
learned the importance of having a relationship with a higher power who can help us um, stay abstinent one day at a time uh, is so critical. It's just so critical. I find myself on some days, perhaps days when I hit a low, um, immediately thinking, um, perhaps I need to do more service. Um, perhaps I need to share what I have learned about this recovery process with others uh, to to just simply help me get back back on my spiritual beam. So important. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Norma M., you're up. Uh, this is Norma. Okay. Okay, great. I was muting when you were probably announcing me. Um, Norma M. from Louisiana, and um, it was two weeks ago, I believe, that I heard Becky on Becca on a Sunday, and I I caught the gist of this group. Um, I'm new to the group, and I I can, I just couldn't get over that this group seemed to exude the original um, the original spirit of the group, and that is that <clears throat> it says that the stories are amazing. I think all of your stories are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, and it's very unselfish of each and every one of you to be able to share the uh, knowledge that you have in your your walk with God in this this uh goal of of um totally being used by God to help other people. And um I find that you're all very inspiring and that I think I'm gonna get help in this group. I've been in OA for eight years and I haven't been abstinent for very long at any one time. I just keep flipping back. And um I believe that when I do the the steps again, I'll find a sponsor and do the steps again that I will actually have a desire to sponsor then i've I've always been uh backing away from sponsoring anyone because I felt I didn't have enough to give anyone, and I think I was absolutely correct, and I feel a leading uh by God to come to this group because I'm actually seeing um seeing fruit from from the the words in the book. So um, I am grateful for being here, and I thank everyone else for sharing, and um, I pass. Thank you, Norma. And now we'll have Paula D. Good morning, and thank you for your service, Katie. This would be Paula D., I am recovered, compulsive overreader. You know, as we read these words, um, wow. But the word I'd like to camp out on seems so not to be put with an alcoholic, inspiring. I mean, on that line, the entire absence of profit motive in the end there, community spirit, Another word, 
is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in the alcoholic field. Can you imagine day after day? You didn't see much successes. But today, there still isn't much successes. But let me tell you, the one that are, they shine out. And here is the word that I want to look at, inspiring. Something conveyed to the mind when under extraordinary influence. There it is. It's a changing more of the, the, the body. It's a change of the mind. My body's changed I don't even know how many times. By the way, as I get older, it still continues to change. But that's not what I'm talking about. My mind. I don't live in the past anymore. I live in today. What influences me? What was always within me? Imagine, once it's uncovered, these men, a community spirit, took, 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 to give, give, give. That's huge. That is a life transformed. A life transformed, and you end with here, being mindful of the time which I am. They believe in themselves something they could never believe in because they saw day after day it's not going to work it's not going to work and it didn't and still more here you see it something was needed in the power which pulls I love this word chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death and we know there's many kinds of death and there's many kinds of living And let me tell you, this is living. Thank you for giving me this time and allowing me to share with my fellow travelers. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share? We have time for two more, two or three more people. Larry. Nadia E. Okay, Larry K. and Nadia. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. So we'll have Larry K. and then Nadia. Oh, thanks so much for your service, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, what's beautiful is uh, this program is about transformation. And, uh, you know, when I came into this program, you know, I was, I was a wreck. I was full of anxiety and fear. You know, I couldn't control my emotional nature. I was busting windshields. You know, I was, uh, I was tearing up uh, my life. You know, I was like a tornado. If you were around me, you'd have to walk on eggshells around me. I had a hyper, you know, sensitivity to, to any, any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of um, evaluation from others. I had uh, a frame of reference that was, uh, that was sick. You know, I'm not that way anymore. See, God uh, did this for me. I worked some simple steps and my life was transformed. And I was pulled out of the gates of hell. You know, I was, I was pulled out of the quicksand. And yes, you know, my body recovered, okay? And I don't want to diminish that, and, you know, by any means, because I didn't come here to have a spiritual awakening. I came here to lose some weight. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know, uh, but now I know a little bit more. And what's beautiful is my story is not unique, not unique at all. And, um, you know, this is available to anyone. And, you know, the, the thing about this is, is, you know, I speak with authority. The authority I speak with is not of my own. I speak with the authority of what my higher power did for me. It happened, uh, you know, this was done 
this was done to me. I was changed and transformed. And just like the people were back in the 1930s and 40s, their lives were transformed. They were brought from the scrap heap to a life that they couldn't have imagined. And the same for me. So uh, it, it works. It works absolutely. If you work the program as laid out, you can have that transformation as well. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. And now we have Nadia. Nadia, press star one to unmute. Good morning. Good morning. It's Nadia E. from Toronto. Sorry, I was unmuting and, and then muting. Anyway, here I am. Um, so I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, and I, I just I need to share because uh, I came into the program 20 years and nine months ago, and I got it. I am one of the, the lucky ones. I got in the room, and when I came home that night, something shifted. Um, so I guess that was my first spiritual awakening. And before I came into those rooms, I didn't believe in a higher power. And when I heard the word God, I was ready to leave. Um, but, you know, that to me, if, if you don't have a spiritual connection, I think I, I would be doomed. There's no way that I could have been abstinent and um, I think the recovery took a while. I think I got the, the connection, but then the, you know, the spiritual the, the, or the emotional, that took me up and still takes me. Um, I'm still working and I will always be working. Um, but it's a good thing, you know, that I continue to, to grow. Um, and an example of that, like it's just, going to meetings, um, sharing my experience, strength, and hope, and and realizing that I am not my sponsee's savior. I am no one's savior. I'm, you know, only God. God is saving me from myself. Um, and so I can, all I can do is be a role model. Um, I can be supportive, and I can take people through the big book. Um, which I'm kind of, like, I, I don't feel competent, but, you know, that's ego. So I'm going to throw ego out the window and just share what I know, and that's all I can share. Um, and I just quickly, I wanted to share that last night, as an example, and the night before, um, you know, feeling comfortable in my own skin, being present, being emotionally available for other people in my life, and it's just, it's incredible. I was so, I was at peace, and I recently gave up coffee, which I thought, because I reintroduced it, um, you know, about five years ago. I had not had coffee for a long time. Came back, and it was, it became my higher power. And I did not want to admit that to myself, to my higher power, to anyone. But slowly I did. So, um, you know, the, and, and I'm sitting there in the restaurant and people are having coffee and it's like, I, I, I'm, it's not calling to me, um, I don't want it, but it's a peaceful thing. It's peacefully giving it up. Um, and the same thing with, with character defects. Recognizing 
um, how I'm feeling, and then just saying, okay, God, here it is. I give it to you, and you change me. And with that, I pass. I'm so grateful. Thanks for being there, family. Bye for now. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny see? Please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, good morning. I'm Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.